Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. We hope you enjoy this message. The title of my message today is The Act of Choice. The Act of Choice. And I don't even know if it is grammatically correct or makes sense. I'm sure there'll be some who will tell me tomorrow. Actually, I was a little scared using the word choice because I recognise leading a church of six or seven hundred people that there are some who are struggling with very real situations and believing that they have no choice. Whatever your situation is today, I pray in the next 30 minutes the words of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding or your own choices and wisdom, but in all your ways seek him and he will make your path straight. Who learned that verse in Sunday school? But it's one of those verses that we kind of learn in Sunday school, even put on the mirror at home so that you, you can go to Sunday school the next week and get a point from the Sunday school superintendent. Who had a Sunday school superintendent? Yeah, come on. Maybe me, me and James. Me and James had a, had a Sunday school superintendent. But there is power in those words there. When we say trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own choices, understandings and wisdom, wisdom but in all ways seek him and he will make your path straight. We are in the series Epic Tales. And uh, over the past six weeks, we have heard how David, with a pocket full of stones and a heart full of faith, took down a giant who was terrorising a nation. We heard from James about the insane faith of Abraham to carry his child to the point of no return, only for God to intervene at exactly the right time. We heard from Aaron the epic tale of King Hezekiah and his determination to overcome generational brokenness and keep close to God. We heard from Innocent, the awesome story of Gideon's vanishing army. Yet unwavering faith that God would overcome the enemy. Then we got seriously deep in our epic tales, when I shared about the Melbourne tram. And then Alicia brought to life possibly the greatest epic tale yet to be told. The story of the fat-wheeled bike. For those who uh, weren't here last week, look it on YouTube and you'll hear about the story of the fat-wheeled bike. The underlying message in every epic tale that we heard was that ordinary people didn't sit around waiting for things to happen. They chose to be used by God. And God chose to use those things that seemed ordinary and make them extraordinary. 
In each and every case, and we've been focusing on the Old Testament, in each and every case, if you go back and look at these people, they were, I'm going to use the word because I, I preempted it by saying do average well, but they were average people. They had faults. They had brokenness in their life. But they chose to rely on God and to be used by God and God turned that ordinary stuff into extraordinary things. The great 19th century preacher Oswald Chambers says this, you can sit around daydreaming about the greatness of his redemption while neglecting all the things you can be doing for him. He goes on to say this, I'm not referring to works which could be regarded as divine and miraculous, but ordinary, simple human things, things which would be evidence to God that you are totally surrendered to him. I'm going to speak a little bit about Thursday night in a moment because there is a real hush in the room here today. The one thing is, is that I think we've probably got the fittest church in all of Hobart because there's probably 100 people doing the bridge run this morning, so God bless them. But Oswald Chambers is saying, you don't have to be extraordinary to be used by God. He's saying God will use you in the simple things of life. What he's looking for is your obedience. What he's looking for you is to say yes. What he was looking for in Abraham is to say, yes, God, I will pick up my son and I will go to the top of the hill because I believe that you have everything in control. Gideon was the least of the least of the least or somewhere down in that category there. And he's, the army was vanishing around him, but he had confidence and faith in a God who said, don't worry, I've got this. Today I'm going to close out the series and in doing so, we are going to switch gears and head into the New Testament to a book called Acts. For those who haven't been in the Bible for a while, we've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and then we've got the book of Acts. It was written by a guy called Luke who was a, a doctor and it was at a time as you read through this where there was a real buzz going on about Jesus. For those who were here on Thursday night, there was a buzz in the room about Jesus. It was not a buzz in the room about Phil Pringle. There was not a buzz in the room about Dan Carotz doing the worship. It was not a buzz in the room about our national director, John Pierce. There was a buzz in the room that Jesus was at work. Acts 5, 40 to 42, I want to set it up a little bit here. They, the temple guards, called in the apostles and had them flogged. They ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So the early church... The apostles, the disciples, the, the early church people had been taken in, flogged. And I'm not talking about, you know, a little pat on the shoulder and say, don't do that again, you naughty boy. These people were flogged. And they were told this, don't speak in the name of Jesus again. 
There is a choice to make right there and then, isn't there? When you are persecuted in the name of Jesus and you are given the the punishment for what it was and you're told don't do it again, there is a choice to make right there. In verse 41, the very next verse, it says this, the apostles left the high council where they were, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then listen to this, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. They've just been flogged to an inch within their death and they're told don't do it. There is a choice right there, people. There is a choice right there. And we are faced with choices all the time. Because sometimes it's not cool being in the church world. I pray regularly for our uni students and our school kids that they will have the courage to share the word of Jesus. Our next gen leaders, our young adult leaders, last Thursday morning went up to Jane Franklin Hall, which is a campus up here where a lot of people from the north and northwest come down and they're boarding here. They've just started um, university, most of them for the first time. They'll be first yearers, most of them for the first time. And our team of young adult leaders went into them and they, they, they built relationship with them by giving them breakfast. Now, every uni student wants free food. There's no doubt about that. So the queue was out the door. But what they did is that when the questions were asked of why would you do this, it's because we're from the local church, C3, and we want to build relationship with them. They chose to do that. They took time out of their day. They actually took, I know a number of them took a day off work. They chose to do this. Why? In order that they could preach the message of Jesus Christ. Now, they didn't get up on a soapbox and start preaching out of revelations, repent. What they did is they built relationship with them to the point where later that day, a large percentage of them, as part of their O week, were doing a thing called the Amazing Race or whatever they're doing. Guess which venue they use later in the day? Our church building. God is at work when we choose to do the ordinary things like cook pancakes for these guys, God will turn it into the extraordinary. What he's looking for us is to just do the obedience and to be obedient. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I encourage you to journal. I've said before, those who journal or write notes are going to heaven. I don't give you an alternate side. Acts chapter 16, one of the key characters is a guy called Paul. Paul is on his second missionary trip and he has arrived in a place called Philippi, which is a region of Macedonia, uh, which is a Roman colony. Acts chapter 16. Are we all good today? We're all quiet today. Are we all good today? Come on. Richard and Catherine, it is awesome to see you guys back. So good to see you guys back. Acts chapter 16, I'm starting from verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, 
we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, which would have been probably Luke, Silas and Timothy. Shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She spoke this and she kept this up for many, many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, stop nagging. No, he didn't say that. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At the moment, the spirit left her. I've got five thought bubbles that I want to give you a little bit later on, but there's a couple of points out of this that I just felt this morning. Firstly, I think in all of us, there's a streak of stubbornness. But there's a streak of stubbornness in two sides of it. Sometimes there's a streak in stubbornness inside us to actually ask for help. I'm okay, thanks, when we're not. For those who hang around me a fair bit, you'll understand that I am passionate about making sure, especially for men, that we are reaching out to others. It is not okay that eight people are killing themselves every day across our country. It is not okay. It is not okay that there is hundreds more who are wishing they would but don't have the courage to do it. It is not okay. And I believe as a church, it is upon us to make sure that we are building relationship with people and giving them the message of hope. Because when a person gets to that point, and I can speak with some experience in this, having the job, done the job that I did for 20 years, is that when people get to this point, it is because they don't feel there is any hope left. They are captive in their mind or maybe physically to situations that they do feel like they cannot get out of. And that is heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking. In my job as a paramedic in Western Sydney, I attended a 12-year-old kid who had written a message that he had no hope. 12 years old and he felt like he had no hope. It is upon the church in general for us to tell them that there is a message of hope. It is upon each one of us to build relationship and ask people the question, are you okay? There's another part to stubbornness though too. There's a stubbornness in that we refuse to reach out and ask for help. And there's a stubbornness to recognise there's anything wrong. There's a stubbornness inside us to recognise that anything is wrong. Because we've lived in the same way for so long that, that that's what we do each time. Change 
is an awkward thing. Seeing something different is very, very awkward. Thursday night was an outstanding service. An absolutely outstanding service. But for many, it was very, very challenging. And I actually accept that. Because not every day we come to church and we see healings occur and gentlemen delivered from spirits that are with inside them. And people can walk away thinking, well, Pastor Phil, you don't need to come back, man, because that's all kind of weird stuff. What Pastor Phil does is he's a very incredibly gifted man. And the accuracy of what is spoken is remarkable. And what he does is that he has the courage as an ordinary person to let God work through him to do the extraordinary things. He chooses to do that even knowing that there will be some who think it might be a little crazy and a little bit weird. Do you know what? The Bible is a little bit crazy and a little bit weird, people. The passage I just read is about a woman who had a spirit inside of her and Paul speaks into that using the power of God and says, come out of her immediately. The thing is, it was in front of him and he's not going, I'm not going to walk around this and let her go. He said, no, I am going to deal with this. And churches have become sterile. And sometimes we need to get a little bit dirty and clean vomit off the stage. Sometimes we need to have the courage to say, God, use me. Step me out of my comfort zone. Step me into areas where you're going to use me. I love these people standing up here today who are stepping out into doing something, into serving. They're saying, this is what is before me. I'm prepared to put up my hand and do it. What is inside of me is this willingness to have that ferocious faith that I see in others. I desire for my faith tank to be expanded so much that I'm not prepared to to worry about or try and get out of the way of problems that are there, but I'm going to go, no, God, use me as an ordinary person to do your extraordinary things. That's what I'm choosing to do. And I thank God for Pastor Phil coming down and shaking this place up a little bit. Shaking this place up. And yet we stood for a long time and I had really sore feet. I wasn't in heels, that's a good thing. I can tell you now, some of the people who came up here, we've heard testimonies from them already. And there has been reconciliation. There has been healing. There has been changes in people's lives because on a Thursday night in Hobart City, God moved. Our battle is spiritual people. We don't like to go there because it's awkward and it's messy, but our battle is spiritual. The Bible is very clear about that. First point I want to take out of this passage is give honour where it is due. Paul understood that the power that was in him came from above. 
He said, in the name of Jesus Christ. There are many places in the scriptures, I think I've spoken on this before, where we read how the disciples healed and set people free, yet it is never about them. In James 5, we read, Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make that sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. We are ordinary people. God will do extraordinary things. Second point, they're very quick little bubbles today because I feel like we're going to get back in and worship. Second point is this. We need to respond, not always react. When we are faced with situations that are unplanned or kind of irk us slightly, our body releases uh, these hormones called adrenaline, noradrenaline and cortisol. And these produce physiological changes in our body to help us cope. And we create what's called the, the fight or flight response. I won't try and go too deep into this stuff here. Stick with me, church. And I sense by this passage that Paul carried some frustration as a result of the constant irritation of this woman coming up all of the time. Paul didn't speak irrationally and frustrated to her though because he knew that inside of her what she was speaking was the truth. And the Bible is very clear where it says truth and evil cannot live together. We cannot live a life where we're in church on a Sunday, but on Monday we're not. We're not physically here. Truth and evil cannot live together. But what Paul did is that he could have responded straight away and said, get away from me. But what he did is that he understood the situation and he didn't go for the, the fight or flight response. He said, God, speak to me so that I may speak to her well. He didn't just react, he responded. And after many days, I can guarantee, it doesn't say it in the Word of God, but I can tell you, I reckon each night, Paul went back to his room or wherever he was staying, saying, God, what do I do with this woman? It's not her fault. She has a spirit inside of her. She's physically held captive. What do I do with her? Although Paul's response was a little, his response was a little annoyed, he never told her to go away. He didn't speak ill of her and gossip. Did you see that crazy woman over there? No, what he did is he spoke to the problem and he dealt with the problem. Verse 19, when her owners realised that their hopes of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said this, these men are Jews. Remember, it was in a Roman colony. These men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar. I pray that we will throw cities into an uproar. I pray that we will do that. They're throwing our cities into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful to us Romans and they're not accepted practices to us. The crowd, don't we love that the crowd follow? 
The crowd don't make choices, the crowd follow. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates, ordering, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The third point I have for you today is it doesn't always seem fair. I have never really fully comprehended the story of Job because the extent of his pain is not common for me. I mean, one thing goes wrong for me and I'm on the phone to God with a please explain. And then I very quickly follow it up with a why me? Do you know that not once in the book of Job, in 38 chapters, not once does God tell Job why he was suffering? You won't find it. God does not tell Job why he is suffering. What God did was to, not, was to draw Job's focus from his suffering to the wonders of his creation. And that might seem ridiculous when he's lost his whole family, his livelihood, his stock, his money, everything. But God says, don't focus on what you've lost, focus on, on what I've created. Don't get me wrong, Job felt abandoned and he asked, why me? When we are in pain, it is so hard to look out into the ocean and to see God's goodness. When we are in pain, it is so hard to look up in the night sky and say, thank you God for creating the, the stars over there. When we feel broken and busted, it is really hard for us to look at his handiwork of other human beings and saying, God bless them. Sometimes it doesn't seem fair. But I want to read to you something from, verse chapter, from chapter 28 where God says this to Job. He says, I know this is tough. I'm paraphrasing it, really tough. But I need you to trust me. And with this trust, I am going to ask you to sing praises of my creation, my majesty. Job had a choice. And sometimes when we are in pain or situations that we feel like are unfair, we feel like we do not have a choice. And physically we may not. Circumstantially we may not. But we have a choice to follow and put our faith in Jesus Christ that he will get us through that. So at this point of the tale that uh, I believe we can start calling it epic because Paul and Cyrus, Silas have been wronged after doing a right and it seems their reward is to be abused, broken, beaten and thrown in jail. Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fall, fell off. 
The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, gave them a meal, baptised them. There was a revival in the city. My fourth point is that your reaction matters. I once heard it said that our human brokenness is a perfect place for his divine intervention. Our human brokenness is a perfect place for his divine intervention. Paul says this, you can shackle my feet, but my voice will sing. My body is captive, but my mind is free. I'm in darkness, but I'm shining your light. Often we are so busy praying to get out of a job that we forget to thank God for the job we have. Often we're so busy asking God to help the other person in the relationship that we forget to ask God to help us. We have become a culture that that spends our time saying, God, get me out of this situation, rather than saying, God, I'll use this situation to glorify you. Thanks, Andrew and team. Fifth point is this, there is a light, there is a light. I haven't asked permission for my wife on this one, but I'll seek forgiveness later. On January the 10th, 2007, We received a phone call that would change so many things about our life. We received a call to say that Morella's brother had tragically died at age 27. No warning, no time to prepare, no time to steel ourselves as to how will I respond in this situation. I'll always remember that day. not only for the phone call that we received, but for the response of my wife. You see, our children were about five and seven at that time. It was school holidays. And Marola had prepared to take them to see a movie that had just come out. This was a big deal for us. To go to the movies took time, it took finances, it took effort. They'd been building up to it for weeks. It was a gift. A gift that she gave to our children who didn't understand the gravity of the phone call that just came. 
We had no time to respond. Everything went dark. The lights went off. And on that day, my wife chose in the darkness to keep the light on for my five and seven-year-old daughter. She chose in a time when everything around surrounded and was dark to keep a flicker of light on for our daughters who didn't understand the gravity. I'm not sure that she even knew what movie they went to in the end. Over the course of the next days, weeks, months and years, there would be times when they were brutal. When the darkness came in so close that you didn't feel like you could breathe. Where there never looked like a light out there. The light at the end of the tunnel was just a saying. But I remember many years later, one of my daughters spoke of the joy of going to that movie on that day. Because what they saw in their mother was that in the times of darkness, she chose to shine a light for others. My wife is my superhero. Because in the 10 years that has passed, she's chosen to shine that light of Christ for hundreds and thousands of other women, not only in this church, but in the places we've been. She chooses to look for light even when you might be surrounded by darkness. Jesus said to the people, I am the world's light. No one who follows me will stumble in the darkness. I will provide the light for you to live in. Paul and Silas were in the darkness. Paul and Silas had been beaten. Paul and Silas had been whipped. Paul and Silas were in the innermost cell. There was no light from outside shining on their cell. They were shackled. They had a jailer looking after two people in the darkness, in the inner cell. They were in the dark. And what did they choose to do? They chose to praise God. They chose to sing. And what happened when they sang? Others listened. And what happened when others listened? The jailer is set free. What happens when the jailer is set free? His family comes to Christ. They are baptised. They become servants. There is a revival happen because Paul and Silas shone a light in the dark. I'm going to finish with a passage from Romans 12, 1 to 2. And I'm going to use the message translation. But before I do, I want to share a verse out of Revelations because it says this. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. 
and I will not blot out His name from the book of life. I will confess His name before my Father and my angels. I want to declare today across this church here that everybody's life is an epic tale worth telling. Everybody's life in here is worth saving. Everybody's life is worth being written in the book of life. I want you to close your eyes for just one moment. I'm going to read out this passage from Romans. And as I do, I'm going to ask you to make a choice. Because if you do not believe that you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, or maybe you have, but you have been living away from what you believe that it is meant to do, then as I read this, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Every person's life in here is an epic tale worth telling. But we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to be a light in somebody else's darkness. So as I read this passage, just where you are, everybody's eyes are closed. They're just going to be listening to this. I want to encourage you. I want you just to raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I am making a choice this morning to get close to God. I am making a choice to get on the track with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand now. I'm going to read this passage. Someone from our pastoral care team will see you because we want to pray with you afterwards. Just as I read this passage, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to make a choice this morning to be a light in somebody else's darkness. If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you, I can see that hand there. Is there any others there? I'm going to read this passage. Thank you, I can see that hand there. Is there any others out there? Thank you, I can see that hand. Our pastoral care team will see because they would love to chat with you in just a moment. Just while your eyes are closed, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Thank you, I can see that hand down there. Keep them up. Keep them up because we we do not want to miss you. You've made a choice and we want to make sure we honour that choice. Keep them up. Our pastoral care team will come to you. Just while all eyes are closed, as I read this, there may be other hands that go up. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. It's Paul speaking. He says, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into whatever it is without even thinking. Instead, fix your eyes on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its levels of immaturity, God will bring the best out of you and He will develop the maturity in you. Just as you've got your eyes closed still, there's still some hands going up. Is there any others there? Beautiful. We can see those hands there. Thank you. I can see those hands. The ones at the back, I can see them. We're all going to stand in just a moment. I'm going to ask those who have put up their hand to make an incredibly brave decision. 
and I'm going to ask you to come down the front. I'm going to ask you to make an incredibly brave decision and to come down the front. I'm going to be down here. I'm going to pray with you. The rest of us, we're going to stand and we're going to go out in a time of worship. Thank you for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3hobart.org.au.